Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the Motherkind podcast. I hope you are all really well this week. I have a fantastic episode for you today. It is with Laurie Gerber. She is an executive and senior coach at the Handel Group, which is one of the world's leading coaching businesses. They coach everyone from Eva Longoria to Hugh Jackman. And Laurie's focus is on maximizing her client's ability to thrive across all areas of life. And that's where we start. When Laurie first had coaching before she came a coach herself, she describes how there was one area of her life that really needed unlocking before she could become empowered in all other areas of her life. So it's absolutely fascinating to hear that story. And that's how we start the episode. We also talk about empowerment and how to really alchemize the way that we were parented and become a different parent, a different person than perhaps our upbringings or our backgrounds might have us be. So I personally, you know, I'm recording this intro, having just spoken to Laurie, feel really inspired by her message. You know, together we were very aligned on a lot of our views and our ideas, which is just fantastic. And I think you'll be able to hear the energy between us. So I hope that you really do enjoy the episode. As ever, if you did, please do rate, review and share it. And have a look on the show notes, because if you're interested in the Inner You coaching process, which Laurie describes, there is a discount code in the show notes, which will mean that you get a really significant discount off that online coaching program. So please do check that out at motherkind.co. Here's the episode. So Laurie, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to be chatting to you this afternoon. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're going to be chatting about probably my favorite subject on earth, which is how to transform and alchemize our own parenting Mm. arguably things that we've absorbed, our relationship to ourselves, how to alchemize that when we become a parent so that we might show up differently in ourselves Mm. and for our children. I could talk about this all day. I mean, actually I do. I have created a job. (laughs) I mean, it is the future of humanity we're talking about. So it's not really a small deal. deal. Well, you are super well known in the US. I mean, the Handel Group is kind of the rock stars coaching group, but in the UK, not as well known. So I'm wondering if you can tell us, you know, where does this passion for human development, for human potential, for parenting and coaching come from? Well, for me, it's purely selfish, (laughs) completely. I've been somebody who has been seeking tools for happiness since Really, like as soon as I could write, I found essays I wrote that were like, if I could just get over my daddy issues, if I could just be happier, if I could just stop worrying, you know, like an obsession, like from my soul, from the core of my being, always curious about how to fulfill dreams. And then I studied and looked everywhere for answers, yoga, Tai Chi, meditation, gurus, courses, books, therapists, 
retreat everything. And then in my young 30s, I found the Handel Method. And the Handel Method brought it all together for me in a way that none of those other things ever did. And I think to your point about really thinking about who and how you want to be different than you were or that you were raised to be, I finally was able to get underneath the roots of what was having me think the way I thought and act the way I thought. And none of that other stuff had ever gotten to the roots as well as to the execution. So I changed my heart, my head, and my body using that method. And so as soon as I figured that out, I'm like you, I want to make my job what I'm obsessed with. (laughs) So like, as soon as I figured that out, I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep talking about this for the rest of my life. So I don't forget. (laughs) That was really it. So I very luckily and synchronistically got a job here soon after I learned the handout method myself and applied it to the areas of my life. Did that answer your question? I'm nodding and smiling, just relating a lot to what you're saying, you know, from some of my earliest memories of trying to figure out how to feel differently or yeah, what's the trick why did I feel, yeah, <laughs> I feel differently it's so fascinating and I too you know I'm like well now I kind of think I have some ideas on this stuff I just want to talk about it all day so yeah, yeah. I left a career in marketing to talk about this stuff all day yeah so I love how you said the roots I think that is the key I get quite passionate about people that promise transformation, but just stay at the top. Like it works short term. Right. I'm really curious. And when you said who you were raised to be, can you talk to those two? Who were you raised to be? And when you dug up those roots, (laughs) what did you find? Oh my God. I just been thinking of all the funny ways I could answer that question. (laughs) I was raised to be neurotic, anxious, hypercritical, put upon, secretive, feisty, energetic, hardworking, seeking wisdom, enjoying simple things in life, to care about family, to seek knowledge, to be slightly perfectionistic, to be holier than thou. And I could keep going, but it wouldn't be an infinite list, which is really important for people to understand because what we have learned working the handout method with tens of thousands of people over the last 15 years is most people only have about seven or eight bad traits that get in their way, usually about three or four that really get in the way, and only a handful of issues in the lineage that really are bugaboos. It's not an infinite list. But we're so offended and upset that there is the list. We so want to only talk about the good stuff that we don't ever sit down and go, oh, these are the seven things that are my curriculum, that are what I am here to evolve. Whereas if you were looking for a new home, you would look at the water, you would look at the noise, you would look at the traffic patterns, you'd look at the school systems, you'd look at the termites, you'd look at the mold, right? Like you would go, let me look in here and see what's going on. What do I need to watch out for? And you might still buy the house for the right price with seven bad traits. But with us, we're like, I hope no one notices and everybody notices. And then we pass it down unwittingly to our children, both by nature and nurture, never having been willing to like, with a sense of humor and a fun flashlight, even admit what's in our goodie bag. I'm really interested that you label those traits bad. They're bad and good. And all bad traits have a good side and all good traits can go dark. Because I know that my things that I used to think were bad about me, and I relate to the lying, actually. I was raised to exaggerate the truth and then to present the truth as it was, because that's what I saw going on around me. 
But now I see, actually, I kind of don't label that bad. I kind of see that as a coping tool that I developed. P.S. You don't have to call it bad. The reason I call it bad is because it gets in the way of your dream. It's not bad. Like there's no morality to the handout method. This is is not immoral. Yeah. Gets in your way. So you have seen then these, you know, tens of thousands of people and you yourself have coached thousands of people one-on-one at this point. Are there some really common things like lying we've talked about? Couldn't be more popular, Zoe. (laughs) Are there other things that you see getting in the way of people being who they really want to be? Yeah. Lying's the number one, number one epidemic on the planet that no one addresses. White lies, kind of like, oh, that looks great on you. Or like real lies as in like, oh, I wasn't at the shops when you were. Right. Outright lies, exaggerations, under-exaggerations, omissions, secrets, hidden things, misrepresentations. I do a whole TED talk on this. I don't know if you've seen my TEDx on secret-free diet. So I could talk about it for 18 minutes straight, all the ways that human beings lie. It's utterly socially acceptable. We even agree that it's like kind of nice. We do it for each other. Again, no morality to this conversation, really. There's nothing in what I want to convey that should ever make anyone feel bad or cast a morality tinge on this. It is simply that when you are lying, you cannot access your own heart. You cannot be true to yourself. You can't be in real intimate relationships with other people. So it's not bad to lie. We all lie and we're going to keep lying. Pigeons lie. This is innate to our animal nature. Babies lie before they can even talk. They fake cry. It's not going to stop, right? (laughs) The best thing we could do is have a sense of humor about it. Like we fart. Like really, we're going to keep pretending we don't? Really? Why? Or what about sex? Or what about masturbation? Or what about nose picking or what about your sexuality or your gender, like all the things that are taboo that we're not supposed to talk or infertility. And the more we don't talk about it, the more separate from ourselves we feel and more separate from others we feel. And given that what we most want is to be connected, lying gets in the way of that, right? I won't call it bad. I'll call it harmful to your dream. What other things do you see? You said there are seven. There's more. I think that human beings don't have a sense of humor about evolving. Like I said, I was raised to be critical, which is, again, you could look at the good side, right? I'm discerning. I'm paying attention. I want things to be perfect. Like there's a good side to it, but it gets you in a lot of trouble with children or even coworkers or people you manage. Like, is it really that inspiring to nitpick and criticize versus to train and develop or empower? So, you know, one of the things we do in the Handel Method is to try to get people to just have a sense of humor about looking in the goodie bag, looking and seeing what's working, what's not working, including these traits. And you asked me, like, what are the most common ones? And I think lying's big. I think critical, you know, a lot of people are recovering from being overly criticized as children because they had parents who were probably afraid they would die or not have effective schooling or not be liked by their peers or something that parent was desperately trying to save you from and knew no other way besides control, right? What they learned from their parent or from their school or their religion. And so thought they could criticize or fear you into proper behavior so that you would perform so that you would have all the opportunities they wanted you to have that maybe they didn't have. So like coming from a good place, but bad logic, bad execution for the ultimate dream. I think that's another big one. Those cover, I think, what's most common for parents to have to alchemize. I mean, then there's obviously people who grow up with a 
addicts or people who are not well. That's a whole world where your life becomes unpredictable and you become so acclimated to things being unpredictable that you don't know that you can have it a different way, that you can actually design it differently in your own parenting and in your own household. Do these speak to any that you had? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, what did I uncover? For sure, critical, high-standard, perfectionist parenting, which meant that I developed a really strong inner critic. I mean, it was so strong that when someone first pointed out to me, I just couldn't believe it when I started to become aware of it, that 99.9% of my thoughts were self-critical, self-harming. Well, it's a way to take over control. I'm going to do you one better, mom or dad, right? Like I'll show you, I'm going to throw up or I'm going to starve myself or I'm going to work myself to the bone or I'm going to get this illness. As human beings, we want to author our lives. We want to be in control, but we don't have access to the tools of design. So we turn it against ourselves, right? It's almost like an amateur takeover, right? You're like, I'll take over and I'll do the mean stuff, but at least I'm in control, right? Not you anymore. It doesn't end up making you feel better, but it makes sense that you would do it. Yeah. I mean, everything that I used to do made total sense as to why. I did it, of course. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. That's why I kind of challenged you on that bad thing because I was really interested right. with that word because I kind of genuinely just see it as things that I did to try and survive and muddle right. through with a kind of roadmap that I was given yeah. that wasn't really that fit for purpose. I mean, my parents right. were incredible, but they had unresolved traumas from their own parenting that just got passed. That's such a good frame. I really love that frame and that you bring that lightness and that acceptance to it. It's so important because if you take it seriously and you feel offended by it or hurt by it or mad at yourself, right? If you're beating yourself up about it, you will not do the work to change it. You won't, you will stay stuck in it. Exactly. Well, then you're in the same state of mind, right? That created it. If I don't pour compassion over myself, which is what I needed, you know? So I'm really interested in this phrase that you use, which was like looking inside the bag. And that is something Mm. we talk about so much on the podcast. How does someone do that? Like, how does someone first start to take that kind of self-inventory, self-awareness and think, okay, what is in here that I might want to stick with? You know, I might want to take the curiosity and remove the judgment. You know, how does someone take that first step? Yeah. Self-awareness. Well, we have a very particular way we think people should start. And I could answer that question a lot of different ways, but the way we recommend people start, and it's module one of our digital course, is called Dreaming, where we literally ask you on a scale of one to 10, what's a 10 for you in each area of life? And this was one of the linchpin reasons why this method made a difference where other things didn't is because for the first time I had to look at all my areas at once and God knows parents don't do that. They're like, I only have one area of life. It's called parenting, maybe parenting and career. Oh, don't talk to me about my sex life. Like (laughs) I got two areas of life and that's it. But it's not true. You have 12 areas of life. And if you don't look at them all together, and by the way, I came to coaching with two very young children at home. I was on the brink of ruining everything. Right. And I was way too busy for coaching, but my life was going to shambles. So I had to do the diagnostic. It's like, if you go to the doctor, get the whole blood panel. You don't just look at, is your nose? Okay. Okay, great. You're healthy. No, (laughs) do the whole battle. So we ask people to articulate their dreams in all the areas and then to explain why they don't have it. So we get the heart and the head dumped onto paper. 
again, the reason the handoff method works is because we make you write it down. It's not a chit chat once a week that then disappears into the ether. It is written and we tweak it and refine it until it is heart evocative and true to you. Like you're not just regurgitating your mother's dream or your father's dream or your sister's dream or your religion's dream or what you are forcing yourself to hear the still small voice of what you care about and then hear all the crazy in your head, which we're then we're going to parse out what deserves attention and what doesn't once it's all out of your head and on paper. So when you first did this, what were the areas, you know, you said, I had two young kids at home, many listeners, including me, you know, I have a four-year-old and a nine-month-old, my yeah. life isn't falling apart, but what did you see and why did you use that phrase, you know, my life was about to crumble? What was it that you saw in that first step? I thought I was only dissatisfied in my business and I thought I was exhausted because everyone is at that stage. One of the first conversations I had with my coach, my kid was, I think, somewhere between a half a year and a year old. And she went nuts to get that baby out of my bed. She was like, cut it out. You need your life back. You need your sleep back. You need your happiness back. You need your sex life back. Like she was like, stop it. (laughs) This is a number one mistake that people make. And you can blame it all on the baby. And the baby doesn't need that blame. The baby doesn't need nearly as much as you're giving that baby. And you are forsaking the actual foundation of your household and your happiness, which is called the person you decided to do this with, that you're now going to be connected to for the rest of your life. So get your priorities straight. That was one very big wake-up call. Very big. And the other thing that I didn't expect to see when I did that assignment was I did not expect to see how bad my relationship was with my husband. I didn't. I was like, whatever, it's fine. Everyone's like this when they have young kids at home. But when I described a 10 on a scale of one to 10, which was connected and intimate and juicy and lovely, I honestly had to rate it a four. And you can't sugarcoat that, right? Like it's a four just doesn't look good. It's failing. And because of the way they set up the assignment, right? This is an interview and this is in private coaching. The way it's set up, you can't run away from the qualitative and the quantitative analysis of the goodie bag. So I had to admit that was crappy. And then when I had to talk about my relationship to my body, which if you had been my therapist or my guru or whatever, it would have never come up, Zoe. I wasn't going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. It was none of anyone's business. And I said that as a feminist. But lo and behold, I had to articulate a dream. And again, my dream was graceful, live, sensual. And I was gorging myself on things I was allergic to all day long and totally addicted to sugar. And I wasn't going to look at any of that. So the diagnostic or the looking in the bag had me realize that I was trying to get help for my the fifth domino in the row. And the first domino in the row was like, break up with your one true love sugar and then see what happens. See how you start to feel your feelings. See how you start to need to tell the truth to your husband and connect with him. See how maybe you should start having sex again. See how you could start eating healthy and love your body. And what would that provide? Then what kind of parent would you be if you liked yourself and you were proud of your choices and you were having sex with their dad, what would that be like? So all those dominoes fell because of that diagnostic. And it didn't take long, Zoe. It took a few weeks of me being off of sugar and being like, look at me. You know, like, wow, I can do that? Oh, I can see where my body would go. Oh, I could see my feelings. I could start to see my own ability to design my life. Then I could start talking about my career. Like, I'm glad I didn't bother before that moment because 
it just would have been bullshit. <laughs> it just would have been based on some kind of striving or performing like I learned from my family that had nothing to do with my actual heart. So I discovered what was most important to work on first. And it wasn't what I thought. It's never what you think it is. That might be a theory worth considering for folks. Yeah. Like I didn't want to yeah. push sugar. I wasn't. I didn't want it to be that easy. Do the hardest thing, right? That's hu- right. that's human survival. You know, homeostasis. Exactly. Our minds do not like changing. Exactly. But it was amazing once that first domino. F- and by the way, I still have sugar now sometimes. Like I'm so excited because I ate like a pig over this last weekend because I was on holiday, and I know how to take the weight right back off. I know how to feel good again. Like it's my relationship now with food and with sugar is I'm the author. I'm not the victim. I'm not along for the ride. We call it being the weather reporter, right? Like I'm not just reporting like, oh, I had a craving. Oh, I needed that. No, I decide exactly what goes in my mouth and exactly what doesn't. Every single morsel. But we don't live like that. So you don't have the power that comes with that if you don't live with that belief. And so when you started to feel the word that's coming up for me is empowered, how did that change your parenting? I believe that the most important thing as a parent is that you model having a happy life. If you want that for your child, whatever you want for your child. So for me, for my child, I want them to have a happy life, which I think means healthy, fun, contributing to the planet, love, right? Like it's not a million things, right? Like that's what I think a happy life is. So I want that for my kid. I think the most important thing that I can do is demonstrate it because we do as the only way, isn't it? It's the only way. Well, we did just establish epigenetics are real and we really do imitate our parents, whether we like it or not. So give them something good to imitate. And you're off to a good start. There's no way around this now. And I think this is really exciting and really petrifying. Agreed. So really just in quitting sugar, just in rekindling my romance with their father, just in creating self-respect that happened with each choice of what I ate or didn't eat, with each choice of when I put myself to bed and woke myself up, with each choice, I became the mother I wanted to be because I became happy and healthy and self-loving. So then the parenting techniques became less important because just the whole vibration and space of the household changed. My availability changed. My spirit changed. Everything changed. So that really is the most important thing. I could say a lot about also parenting techniques if you want. But I think it's so true. You know, I often look to some of the wisest minds that I think have walked this planet, you know, and when I became a parent, I was like, what have they said about parenting? And they all, all say that. I'm glad. I'm glad yeah, yeah, there, you there you go. I mean, Mother Cunt was founded on this quote, which is a Tick Van Hahn quote, which is, you know, a parent's greatest inheritance to their children is their own happiness. It's so true. Everything's passed on, right? And DNA, emotional DNA. So all the work we do, they go on our shoulders. And so when you were doing this work, Did you get new realizations? Because something I often coach on, talk about is I think becoming a parent can bring up everything about how you were parented. For sure. And I'm wondering what your experience of that was and how you would coach someone through that who's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I cannot believe how critical my father was and I feel 
fucking angry. Yeah. How do we move past that yeah. into the vibration that you're talking about, which is expansion? Love that question. Love, Love that question. Because interestingly, right, as soon as I got my own self-respect, got my relationship on track, started to look at my career, then I could go into the family stuff too, the family of origin stuff. Because yeah. again, you can't, you can't avoid it. It's there. It's the elephant in the room. But it's the root. I loved that you said that yeah. word right up top. It is yeah. the root. You have to look yeah. at it. And that's later modules, later modules and interview. So I love teaching people about lineage, right? About how lineage repeats. So lineage repeats. Don't question me. Lineage repeats. Just figure out how your lineage is repeating. Assume that it is. It's so funny. I once had a person in one of my workshops about traits and lineage and how it repeats. And I was saying, listen, you have every one of your parents' traits. It might be like you think you have the reverse, they're aggressive and you're passive aggressive, but you have the same traits or a reaction to the traits. Traits don't disappear. Like if you grow up in a French speaking household, you speak French. You can't, sorry, but you're going to pick up French. And if you want to speak Italian, you have to go learn Italian. So you're going to have their trait, either exact replica, variation, reaction to that's not so different. You can't get out of it. And this, this woman goes, I have this trait where I give up too easily on things. And my parents are not like that at all. They're like, really, they really, really, really stick to things. They're very, very dedicated. And I was like, well, then you're adopted. <laughs> and she was like, I am. I, yes, I am adopted. She was like, yes, I'm adopted. I was like, I understand. Like, you can't fall far from the tree. And then, of course, you could see her mind going like, oh, I guess my biological parents did give up too easy. And the funny thing is, is the only reason we tell you to look at your parents to figure out your own traits is to just get the joke of it. It's not to blame your parents because you know where they got it. The cave people, <laughs> the people above, right? We're just going back into the stone ages here. They did the best they could, right? So you got it from them. So not your fault you have those tendencies, like you said, right? Survival mechanisms, obvious. Not their fault, just interesting cosmic spiritual curriculum. And the more you avoid it, the more it's gonna kick your ass. So how about we just take our little magnifying glass and go, all right, which one am I taking on this year? Like, what do I want to take on this year? So one thing I took on just last year, I have teenagers now, I have a right 18 year old, 16 year old and five year old, but I took on not being sarcastic with my 15 year old, five bucks. Every time I said something sarcastic to her, it didn't take but three days for me to realize I pretty much only said sarcastic things to my daughter. Wow. I was like... (laughs) You know, but no consciousness until I brought consciousness to it. So I think for most of us, it's getting our own life in order so that the kid doesn't stress you out is the biggest battle. And our parents didn't necessarily have enough self-care or awareness to do that. Once that's removed, it's about that wonderful balance of listening so that they want to talk and talking so that they want to listen, right? Like how do we talk in a way that is easy to hear? And how do we listen in a way that makes them want to talk to us? That's like the next level of how we can design our parenting. And I am no expert. I can be a real jerk to my kids. And I think, you know, some of the same ways my parents were to me and some new and different ones, (laughs) you know, some variations, but I'm always willing to be criticized. I'm always willing to get feedback. I'm always willing to endeavor to make a change by actually making a change. Like you will get five bucks if I'm sarcastic with you or if I'm late to dinner. How has the relationship changed? I mean who doesn't love someone who's being accountable, right? (laughs) I'm modeling what I want them to do. I'm modeling having a dream and a vision, managing my own mind and my own brattiness and making and keeping a promise. So that makes them trust me. That makes them 
want to engage with me. Don't get me wrong. They still think I'm a pain in the ass. Like this is not sublime going on at my house. My children frequently well, accuse me. We're not supposed to be best friends with our kids, are we? Uh, we are not best friends. No. <laughs> but I think they have really valid criticisms of ways that I have fallen short. I don't want to present like I'm a master parent, but I do regularly use my tools and I'm very proud of my relationship with my children because of that. And the feedback I get is I'm doing a good enough job. I'm not, I'm not getting like gold stars, but ultimately I don't care. Like ultimately I just care that they're happy. So I'm just going to keep doing everything I can do to enable that, including modeling it and also doing everything I can to elicit communication such that I could help if there was something that was hurting. And you've mentioned this phrase a few times and you mentioned it when you said how you came to the realization around wanting to work on the sarcasm was this spiritual assignment. How does that come to you? Is that coming to you in meditation? Do you have this long list of like, while I'm earthside, you know, these are the things I want to work on. How are you unpacking yeah. that spiritual That's assignment? That's such a good question. No one's ever asked me that before. I think the handout method's broken into 12 modules. So there's really a curriculum that we follow. And in the curriculum about traits, you're really looking at the ones that have most impacted your areas of life that you're dreaming in. So that starts to become pretty clear as you do that assignment. And as you look at your parents' traits and how they are in you, you start to see like, oh, part of my curriculum is to work on these seven traits, right? That one's pretty straightforward. Then the next thing we do is we look at the things that shaped you, the experiences you've had that shaped you. So we're really getting a full picture of the human and how the human got unconsciously designed by the things that happened and the things you remember. Because of course, millions of things happened, billions of things happened. You remember like 30 that shape you in all the areas of your life, love, sex, home, money, career. So we do a comprehensive look at that. And it's fascinating too, because again, only a few themes show up. It's fascinating to look at someone's 30 haunting memories, right? And to see like, oh, there's curriculum. <laughs> like You're here to learn how to speak up. You're here to learn how to evolve anxiety in your lineage. You're here for gender issues. You're here for eating disorders. Like it becomes very obvious in those exercises. You know, and this is what I teach and coach on and what we talk about every week on the podcast. And I just love your phraseology around it. You know, this mm -hmm. is here what I'm here to transform in my lineage. Because you could be like, oh, I'm anxious. I am. That's a problem, isn't it? You know, I'm anxious. My mum was anxious. My kid's anxious. It's like, actually, could this be that you are here? I think, was it Maston Kip? He talked about being this intergenerational transformative figure in your lineage you know and each of us have these assignments it's such a empowering way that word again to look at this yeah. say actually I'm experiencing anxiety I wonder if my challenge here is to transform this for the next generations you know I saw a shaman who said if you can alchemize change transform something like this you affect seven back and seven forward exactly and I think the soul picks, and this is a Kabbalistic belief. I didn't make this up, but I buy into it and I like it, that the soul picks the issues of the parents at the time of conception. Yes. Like the soul is like, I think I can handle that. And then there's miscarriages and abortions because I do think you can have buyer's remorse as a soul. But I think that a soul picks and it picks because that is the curriculum that is the right one for that moment. And this is a very spiritual context. At MIT, they really struggle with this scientifically, of course. But 
if the soul picks and then we forget that we picked, we show up and it's like, why did I pick that? I can't recall. (laughs) And you get beaten enough by it that hopefully eventually you go, oh, right. I'm here to evolve this. Let me not give up. Let me keep looking for the right tools to evolve this. Because what's the alternative? I think a lot of people are living in the alternative. You mean addiction? Addiction, numbing, avoidance. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, especially in the UK, you know, the mummy wine culture is very real. Yeah. Very scary. Yeah, I think there are lots of people living the alternative. The thing I love, and I totally believe this too, I didn't know it was a Kabbalist. I actually first read it in a book by Rebecca Campbell, who's an author here in the UK, a spiritual author. But what I love is that when I can be beating myself up about my parenting, I can remember my girls chose me. Exactly. They chose my particular bag of issues, <laughs> things that I've got to work on. Yeah, nice. Right. So that instantly just pours compassion over myself. Just like you chose your parents, which exactly, you know, we're all in this together. Truly. We are all in it together. And that's also why I'm so hopeful that if a critical mass of human beings does this kind of work, it doesn't have to be the whole planet that does it. It just has to be a critical mass to shift culture of people who begin to think this way and behave this way and alchemize these traits and lineage issues that can then like you said, like go up and down the lineage, but also across of humanity. It will be catchy because it's sexy. It looks good. It feels good. It vibrates nicely. So why do you think we haven't seen a mass awakening yet? And how do you think the coronavirus impacts to this conversation? If you think it does. Why have we not seen a mass awakening? Not a critical mass enough of humans changing culture thinking differently, speaking differently, promoting, telling the truth. And we just, not yet, just haven't gotten there yet, right? Let's keep yakking, shall we? And then coronavirus gives everybody just a really good excuse to be a jerk. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You know, if it wasn't coronavirus, it would be something else. But it gives humanity a really good reason to feel sorry for itself, to give in further to addictions or distractions or diversions, if that's the way you want to go. And then there's a group of us, probably those who are listening, that understand that COVID is an opportunity to look at everything again, change anything you don't like, really rethink how you've thought about things that aren't working, take care of yourself better. COVID's a great opportunity for that pivot for those who are looking for an excuse to evolve and design versus those who are looking for an excuse to check out. And did COVID bring any further awarenesses, things that you want to change in your life? Presumably you've had three kids at home. Tell me about that. (laughs) I mean, I really do believe that life is happening for me, not to me. Really, really, really. I love my kids. I like being around my kids. I wanted to work from home always so I could be more accessible. However, I work 11 hours a day behind a locked door. So it's not like I'm hanging with my kids. So, you know, the blessing of being able to be with my family and not travel and be able to do so much of what I do that I used to have to show up and commute to being able to do it from home virtually has been a huge blessing. So that's great. But I also, the challenges that it has brought, mostly in uncertainty, you know, like uncertainty about health or uncertainty about literal logistics. And for me, it was my 16 and 18 year old were taking care of my five-year-old for a lot of that. So that was a big strain on them. So mostly all of that uncertainty, I'm happy to say I appreciated the challenge of because it made me be a better person. I like it made me sharpen my tools 
But, you know, there were moments when I was like, I wish it wouldn't be like this anymore. But I love the opportunity that COVID has provided for humanity to slow down and face its mortality, face its choices. I think it's overwhelmingly a potentially positive phenomenon to have hit the planet. You know, there's a lot of conversation in the UK at the ages that your children are at, actually. Big entry points to go to university, I guess college, you would say. How have you been able to support your children? Because I'm guessing they're thinking their futures might feel quite differently than how they thought they would be seven, eight months ago. How are you kind of coaching them through that? Because I know here the media is in hysteria about it and a lot of mothers and parents are in hysteria. I'm just going to go ahead and not listen to that media. And yeah. I highly I don't, encourage I don't my watch the news. This is from my, my <laughs> who tells me. <laughs> exactly. You get little bits of filter, but I know we're joking about media consumption, but as we know, the thoughts that you allow into your awareness are everything. I believe in pain-free natural childbirth, Zoe. So I needed to stay completely removed from mainstream society to continue to brainwash myself to believe that childbirth didn't need to be painful. So it is same for every topic. You are going to have to insulate yourself from the garbage that is being spewed on all levels, verbal, visual, all the levels, if you want to keep your focus on what you believe in. So I don't control my children's media consumption, but they certainly have the modeling and the instruction that they get to decide what gets into their brains. I'm happy to say that I've been happy with what YouTube has provided my children because ultimately I guess they're searching things that I would approve of because mostly there's some benefit to being able to utterly tailor your media in a way that we couldn't do when we were kids. They Last really are. Checked, Eckhart Tolle wasn't on the news at 10, mm-hmm. right? But he's on his YouTube exactly. channel every day. Exactly. And by the way, to answer your original question, I generally don't coach my children because they're not paying me (laughs) and they don't want me to be their coach. What I try to do is model and be available if and when they want to talk to me. And that's, at least for the older ones, right? That's pretty much what the relationship has become. I'm modeling, we're coexisting. They're leading independent lives. They're making their own decisions. They're taking the consequences of their own decisions. And we meet up every night at dinner and talk about it. And they ask for help when they need it. And we chill together. You know, like we do anti-racism twice a week and we do a book together, a book group together. And then we do like game night twice a week and we play games together. And every night we have family dinner together. You know, we come together for purposes that we agree as a community are important. But otherwise they're living independent lives as they should and learning their own lessons and having their own trials and other adults that are helpful to them. You know, which again, I also believe in, like I'm not their only or their soul. I'm trying not to create dependence because that's not my ultimate goal. I experienced enmeshed parenting and I think it's taken me a long time to unravel that enmeshment, that codependency. It's very complex. Yeah. Whole other topic for another Yeah, maybe we'll do that next time. Maybe we'll do that next time. You know, I wasn't really sure what to expect with this conversation and I've just absolutely loved it. I particularly, Mm. you know, you really something you said around news consumption is really, really helped me because I too had a natural pain-free birth at home and I was militant about not letting any information in. And I think I hadn't realized the power of that, that I could use that in every time, every time. Because I'm like on Instagram and I think I'm consuming 
too many other voices and sometimes I'm finding it hard at the moment to find my own so thank you for that go on a fast just like you would detox whatever go on a cleanse for a week and see how you feel I find that if I even let the smallest amount of news media in even the most reputable sources my vibration is decreased different from if I ask someone I love to give me what do I need to know and same thing with Instagram you are curating as you would curate you would not feed your child poison you would not let them drink moldy milk and yet you are drinking moldy milk in what you are consuming mentally your mental diet is full of things you're allergic to and you are allowed to cut that out just like you cut gluten or lactose or whatever you're allergic to you cut it out on any topic you only talk to couples that are having hot sex after 20 years You only look at books and news and media where someone is at your vibration or higher, not lower. Silly. Yeah. Thank you for letting me underline that. (laughs) It's important because, you know, this is one of the things that I used to be really good at. And actually recently I've let that slip and I'm noticing it. I have a very strong voice and I have strong opinions. and, And I've noticed recently Particularly Instagram, I've been double questioning myself. So that's so helpful. So we made a difference. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, well, that was just one thing, you know, many things that you said, I'm sure will help everyone listening as well. So, Wonderful. final question if you could give just one mm-hmm. gift to all the mothers and the mothers in its broadest definition, what would you give and why? I would give Inner You to the mothers, Inner You Life, which is the curriculum, the 12 modules. It's the roadmap. It's the steps to take to discover who you are, who you're meant to be, what you're here for, and remove, like really systematically remove the obstacles to it. Everything from just your BS excuses to how your lineage impacts you, how your history impacts you. So like the deep root stuff and the branches, it is the answer, right? Like I looked everywhere for something that would hit head, heart, and body. And this does. It doesn't work if you don't do it, right? Like don't don't buy it if you're not going to use it. But if you are ready to do that, if you're ready to go there, right? Like if you're ready to look in your goodie bag and lovingly and with a sense of humor, and I don't know if people are working with you one-on-one, you know, it's something you can do along with other things, you know, it's self-guided, it's at your own pace, you own it for life. We want you to keep coming and going from it for your whole life. There's three group classes within it for life. And it's really, really, really inexpensive. And you get a private coach and you get a buddy system because you need all that to really get you through. And then if you have a coach in addition, oh my gosh, you know, forget about it, but it's not necessary because there's those other aspects to it. So that is what I would wish on everyone. And also why we give you guys a discount code in case somebody does want to go ahead. So I will share in the show notes, the discount code, if anyone is interested in checking out the inner you and just, you know, on a kind of personal note, we were sharing before we started recording, you know, my husband, is actually having coaching with your husband and is going through you process. And I checked with Guy, he doesn't mind me saying this. So, uh-huh. so, you know, I'm kind of seeing on the other side, you know, the transformation that he's having through your work. So, you know, I definitely would encourage people to check it out, handle group in a you and have a look at the show notes, which will be on my website and we'll pop the discount code in there. Oh, well, thank mm-hmm. you. It's been an absolute joy. Same here. Thank you so much for the work you do and for allowing me the space and platform to hopefully support lots of other mothers out there. Oh, no doubt about that. 
So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care, I'll see you next time.